0: And welcome to the first edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick. This new podcast features one of the faces, even now, of of Michigan basketball. When you go out and about and people think of Michigan basketball, Tim's name, Tim's face, is one of the ones that people envision because you see him on ESPN, uh, you see him Pistons games, you see him... Uh, you see him all across the basketball world. I see him at the NBA Players Association Top 100 Camp. Uh, is around basketball till this day, and now he is going to be with us, providing commentary every week on his own podcast, The Michigan Insider with Tim McCormick. I'm Sam Webb. You hear me on The Michigan Insider mornings on WTKA. You also see me on The Michigan Insider on The on 24 seven Sports, and it is my great pleasure to be on this podcast with my friend tim mccormick so tim
1: how you doing man i am fantastic and sam thank you very much for doing this with me i um i know you in the past you said tim i learned a lot from you i learned a lot from you i listen to your show all the time and i think you've got your finger on the pulse of everything michigan basketball and football and and
0: so i'm i'm really looking forward to this a lot we're gonna have a good time so you know, I remember when you you came to me uh, and said, "Sam, I want to do a podcast." I thought, "Man, that is an awesome idea." I see the the you know the the gap between the you know the desire for basketball info and commentary and people providing it. So you fill that gap wonderfully. But I, I wonder what motivated you. What was it that called you at this point in time to say, "Hey"? I want to do a podcast. Well,
1: let me take you back in time when I was I, I was a young kid. I remember my first game at Chrysler, like it was yesterday. It was nineteen seventy six. Phil Hubbard, Ricky Green, John Robinson, Steve Grody, and I fell in love with Michigan basketball. And and over the years, I've had a lot of different hats. I've been a fan, I've been a player, a broadcaster, and I was thinking not too long ago. About the fact that when I was a freshman, sophomore, junior at Michigan, I remember always feeling like, you know, Michigan football is the king and basketball (laughs) just kind of along for the ride. And, And I thought, you know, Michigan's brand is really strong in basketball now. With John Beeline's help, with the Fab Five, with the Glenn Rice National Championship, Michigan basketball is really strong. And I, 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 I look on the, the podcast sites, and I see, you know, 8, 10, 12 Michigan football <laughs> podcasts and nothing about Michigan basketball. So I said, you know what, darn it, we, we've got we've to change this. And when I reached out to you, um, I, I think that we both bring unique perspectives, and we love Michigan sports, and so it was a natural fit. We're going to knock this thing out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you, you mentioned as a student athlete here feeling like, you know, Football is is what it's all about, and basketball is just what you do when football season isn't around, right? But you go over. You're right that it, it is so much different now. The profile, always great players with Michigan basketball, and let's be clear about Michigan basketball tradition: 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, now back into the 2000s. Final fours in all those decades. So you you want to talk about a a program with a rich history? Michigan, Michigan's basketball program is up there, but the commitment to the program wasn't always there in terms of investment in it monetarily. Now you go over there, they have a cathedral of college basketball.
1: It is. And I remember Chrysler Arena was just a shell, you know, at (laughs) 13,609. I remember that number well, but it didn't always sell out. And the practice facility was non-existent, and the weight room was kind of back yeah. underneath the stands. <laughs> and so to see the you're, – you're right, it's a cathedral, and, and there's an arms war. And, and Michigan is still, every year, adding
0: millions of dollars to, to make sure it's state-of-the-art. So, so Tim, uh, I was pr- particularly interested in what it meant to you. We've had this conversation before And what it meant to other players to see one of your own be tabbed as the one to lead the program up. When you heard that Jawan Howard was going to be the next basketball coach at the University of Michigan, what did that mean to you? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, to take you back, I, I was very fortunate. Bill Martin was a friend and somebody that I've always respected. And he had me uh, on the committee to select Tommy Amaker. And then I was involved in the John Beeline process. So um, fast forward to when Ward Manuel called and said, what do you think about the next coaching position? I said, Juwan Howard, period. And and I shared with him a story that I met Juwan when he was in high school. And we worked out together and we we had a really – great experience. And then throughout the years, he was doing his career. I was doing mine. But two and a half years ago, I saw him at the the, um, Little Caesars Arena um, in the first year. And I went up to him and I said, Juwan, I've got to tell you something really quick. I was thinking about the fact that that John Beeline's name surfaced with the Pistons job. And it was in the back of my mind. I said, Juwan, I think you're going to be Michigan's next head coach. And his jaw dropped. He said, What are you talking about? And I said, I'm just, t- just keep it in the back of your mind. Last year, I went up to him again and I said the exact same thing. He said, You're, there's no way. And I said, Just keep it in the back of your mind. You would be perfect. We would love you. And so when it actually happened, it warmed my heart. And look, John Beeline has done amazing things for Michigan, but there's something about, your guy, a player, a guy that wore that uniform, that, that blood, sweat, and tears. Um, I, I've talked to so many players that are elated that Juwan Howard is going to be there. And I think he's got the pedigree and the work ethic and the character and the love of Michigan that is going to be a big smash hit.
0: Yeah, you know, he is, he's apologized for the tears that he he said at the introductory press conference. It's like, look, dude, that was Come on, didn't we all tear yeah, up a little bit? Yeah. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't anything to apologize for. I thought that was endearing. Yeah. Uh that he showed that much emotion that he, he has that much love for the for the program that he's leading up now. And I think it, it you know, it it makes that connection even greater for, for former players like yourself. But let's talk about carrying, you know, moving forward. From what was a very successful era, because you talked about John Beeline, and we'll have we'll be talking to John Beeline on this podcast uh, soon. But you know, very success—the most successful basketball coach in program history—and the way that he did it, Tim, is is a way that I admit I was skeptical of at the beginning, because you knew X's and O's wise. There was not a better coach in, in, on any level than John line. but would he be able to get the caliber of talent necessary to compete to compete with a guy right up the road and Tom Izzo? I mean, forget just you know looking all around. You look an hour away and you have a titan of college basketball. Would he be able to do that? And Tim, he did. Now he he didn't get you know the one and dones but he got he got several top hundred guys. Uh, and then he was able to also get guys outside of the top hundred that he could mold into into pros, and he had a run of of first round draft picks that was even better than than Tom Izzo's. Now that that Juwan comes in, how do, it, it looks like it's going to be different? Looks like he's going to be swimming in that in, in the in the waters that have the guys that are you know closer to being pros uh, than the ones that John Bline had coming in.
1: Yeah, Sam, so John Beeline's model was unique and successful. He would target the two- and the three-star kids that he felt like he could mold into maybe a low four-star. Juwan Howard's strategy is going to be different because of his appeal and his background and the fact that he's an NBA guy. Um, He's got kids that are AAU players right now. He's got LeBron and D-Wade tweeting about him. He is so attractive that I think he's going to be able to focus on the four- and the five-star kids and not have to try to coach them up. Um, I look at his model, and I try to project what I think. An ACC program, a Duke in North Carolina, um, they, they take athletes, and they give them freedom, and they play more of an NBA style, and they say, guys, we're going to give you the tools, and we're going to give you the freedom to develop and showcase your skills to play at the highest level. Now, I also think that Juwan Howard is going to be able to target some kids that that might be the three-star that's going to be here for four years. It's a nice combination, but right now in the Big Ten, Michigan State is attracting elite talent. So is Maryland. I think Michigan's moving in that direction, and what that does is it gives you a chance to compete at the very highest level. I'm still amazed that John Beline got to two national championship games because you would think that, that you need future NBA thoroughbreds to get to that level. Um, I think that Juwan Howard's going to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I think he was – you know, John was exceptional at, at – his, his, his scouting was, was next level. I mean, to be able to see what Karis LeVert was going to be, uh, for instance – uh, that's just an example to to spot. That's jaw dropping to me. Yeah, to yeah. to spot Mo Wagner and what he was going to be, and you know he now he complimented it with with some guys in there that were like a Mitch uh, Mitch McGarry was a was a highly rated guy, Zach Irvin was a highly rated guy. So he had some highly rated guys, but he didn't he didn't ever get that one and done variety. And so now Jawan Howard, he comes in. Not only does does he lock down Mo's little brother. Franz, who I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll be getting into uh, what you think of his game, but then he comes in and he gets one of those one and done types in Isaiah Todd, and this is getting in at the end of that recruiting process and locking down a guy that had an offer from Kentucky, had you know the other finalist was was Kansas, for instance. I mean, you had the the big wigs of college basketball, the blue bloods, Carolina, after this guy, and Michigan landed him.
1: Well, there's a lot that Juwan can sell and, and the academics is obvious, but you wouldn't think that a one and dud kid is going to, to focus on that as much. He's also targeting kids with strong parents, strong families. And, and he's selling the character part of it, the family environment. Listen on, on Wednesday night, I, um, I was at practice and this blew me away. Um, the women's team was playing in Chrysler that night. They had an exhibition game against Northwood. And as they came out of their locker room, they were running against the wall to go out to the court. They were going to go through the tunnel, and they were going to play their game. Juwan stopped practice immediately, and all the men's players walked over, and they started cheering wildly. They were pumping their fists. Juwan said, ladies, not in our house tonight. And He was like, they, they were all so respectful. And it just kind of gave me chills because... That's family, and, and that's what guys get excited about. Isaiah Todd committed to Michigan not only because of, of Juwan, but because of where he can take him. Um, the training system with John Sanderson is huge. I was at their practice. I think it was his visit might have been the Army game, mm-hmm. and Isaiah and his dad sat with John Sanderson for like an hour talking about what you can become as an athlete at Michigan. And so I I compliment Isaiah Todd. He could have gone like everybody else, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. But he sees an immediate path to the court. He trusts Juwan Howard. He trusts the system. He wants to get into an academic environment where he can get a meaningful degree. I I just I was really impressed.
0: You mentioned something about the you know, the, the one and done's and and the you know, the, using one-and-dones as part of the foundation of a, of a program, it, it seems to me that the only programs right now that can have those players exclusively, like all they have is one-and-dones, Duke, Carolina, maybe Kansas to a certain extent. But you said something that I, I, I kind of want to flesh out a little bit that I think is really important for Juwan Howard's model. He'll have some one-and-dones, but that he will have – more complimentary pieces than you might see what I call complimentary pieces guys that might take two or three years to be NBA guys he'll have more of those types on his roster than you might find at a, at a spot like, like Duke or Kentucky but that can be a winning model too like you can you can grow that way too and still compete at a championship level.
1: Well, look at their their young players right now. Franz Wagner is an NBA player to me. I, I think he'll be a first round draft pick at some point, maybe a lottery pick, but not yet. He's got to get physically stronger. Zeb Jackson is long and aggressive as a point guard. I can see he and David DeJulius being the backcourt of the future, and and some of the other kids that are are definitely. Termed one and dones, Mark Williams. Um, you know, is, is he a one and done? I I don't know if I think that. I, I think I think when you get to the NBA, they expect you to be ready because the NBA is not a nurturing league where they put their <laughs> arm around you. Hang in there. This is going to be a long journey. No, when they draft you, they're investing millions of dollars. They want you ready now, and so I would encourage a lot of these guys go and fine tune your skills make sure when you go in there you're in a position of power as a high lottery pick rather than like iggy iggy's a great example right like like he 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 right now would be an all-american at michigan and next year probably a lottery pick by being a low draft pick with the New York Knicks, he's going to have a hard time this year finding minutes. Mm-hmm. And and so when you get there, Sam, your game better be pretty finely tuned.
0: Right. All right. So let's get uh, to a few observations before we get into your conversation with with Juwan Howard. Uh, you've been to practice quite a bit. 10. Four times. Yeah, you've so you, you've seen these guys and you know the personnel and and how they fit into the last system. You know, how how will things be different under Jawan Howard compared to how they were under under John Beilein?
1: A lot of things will be different. First of all, the speed of play in the NBA is a twenty four second shot clock, and so there's a lot of quick hitters. Um, NBA offenses they run something called pistol now, which is a high structured screen and roll game, and there are, there are some tendencies that are similar to John Beilein. I actually think that John Bieland was such a visionary. A lot of NBA teams have adapted some of his philosophies. But there's going to be more turnovers because Juwan Howard is going, going to encourage them to be playmakers. Don't be afraid to take a shot. And under John Belang, a lot of the players that, that, that excelled are the guys who just said, you know what, I'm going to get, get a bucket for you right now. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about me. And they, they broke the offense a little bit. I think that's what an NBA mindset is. Go make plays. Go have fun. This is a, a player-friendly offense. And I think it's going to be really fast, creative, and and, and just go out there and, and enjoy it. And so I think that's the first thing. Um, also, talent level-wise, that that's going to be obvious. There, there's going to be more above-the-rim athletes, to-the-rim athletes, transition athletes. I think that's going to be a real structure um, that the John Line will look at. I'm sorry, that Juwan Howard will look at. Then also – Post play is going to be huge, and John Teske should have a huge smile on his face because he's never really been posted up. And let's think back to the Michigan State Michigan game. Cassius Winston was switching onto John Teske in the low post, <laughs> yep. and we never even went there. We You're never right. looked to exploit it. With a post game, you go in there and you say, you know, young fella, you're 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 too small to cover me. We're going to the big fellas and Dude, we score inside. I remember
0: being it was maddening, and it, it wasn't even you know. Sometimes it was all right. John and and John Beeline would say this like, you know, you got to go down there and present yourself as a as a threat. You know, get big, John Teske. get big, but well, get big. Position yourself so you can so you can receive a pass. But post entry was a that was a chore for for Michigan's perimeter guys last year they that was not a pass that they made comfortably and so I I can only imagine with Juwan Howard here that feeding the post is gonna be come second nature to these guys let me
1: share a couple of anecdotes number one I was at a practice earlier and Brandon Johns was in the low post and he um he dribbled out to the perimeter and swung the ball and Juwan called timeout and had the manager bring a chair over and set it down and said, Brant, I want you to sit down. You're going to watch for a while because I want you to see what it's like when we throw the ball inside to John. And so it was, <laughs> I'm sure it was humbling, but it was a, a cool way to send the message. The next one is that that the ball went into Teske and he kicked it back out because that's probably the tendency he's had in the past. Once again, Juwan threw his arms up in the air and he said, If you don't throw the ball into the low post, guys, and if John doesn't want to shoot it, don't even give it to him anymore. We want post play. And so he called him out on that. And then the third one, before the Notre Dame game, I had a really good conversation with Colin Castleton. And I said, have you noticed a big difference in the post attack of Michigan? And he said, well, you know, in our scrimmage against U of D, John and I combined for 11 baskets. Nine of them were in the paint. And that's different than the way they played last year. I, I would expect they'd still be able to make perimeter shots, but, but they went inside against U of D. And I know some of those might be offensive rebound buckets or something in transition, but the emphasis is obvious. They are going inside a lot
0: more. So rotation-wise, you have any early projections of what the what the rotation is going to be?
1: Well, I would I would think that the Franz Wagner really throws things into chaos because the best players for Michigan are at the point guard and the big guys. Um, so you've got three really good guards, David DeJulius and and Xavier Simpson, and I think Eli Brooks is gonna have a really good year. Now and then when you look at the big guys, you've got Teske, you've got Castleton, and you've got Brandon Johns. I think that Isaiah Livers plays all positions. But, but that that wing is going to be really a big question mark. Think about this. You lose Iggy, you lose Charles Matthews, you lose Jordan Poole. Those are your three top scores. You're not returning any double-figure scores, so that's an issue. Who's going to be your wing score? So I think Michigan's either going to go really big, play Isaiah Livers at the three, or they'll go really small and play three-point guards.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that's something that, that Juwan is going to be you know, a little bit of figure it out as you go. So I know you got a chance to to talk to Juwan, kinda lay out for, for us what the discussion was about. What you you know? What you look to find out when you sat down with the Michigan's head man?
1: Well, I was um, I was really looking forward to it because we have a long-standing relationship, and I had so many questions that I wanted to ask him. That that I, I need a second interview. We're go, we're going to do it again, but I, I wanted him to talk a little bit about the differences between NBA and college. Also, he's inherited players that are specifically recruited to play John Beeline's system? Is that an advantage? Is it a disadvantage? And then also, how do you integrate players that are used to a certain style that that is very controlled, right? John Beeline does not want turnovers. He wants his offense run a certain way. How do you teach those players to go out and be playmakers and have that freedom? So I I, I thought his answers were were really fascinating. I I think he's such a high-character guy. Very excited about Juwan Howard.
0: All right, so here you go. Tim McCormick, one-on-one with Michigan Head Basketball Coach Juwan Howard.
1: Juwan Howard, (laughs) I was uh, reminiscing. It's been 30 years since you and I met at the IM building with Steve Fisher. Time flies. I'm really happy for you.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate it, man. You know, I can't believe it's been that long, but it seemed like it was just yesterday because I recall, like, the first time we met and – I also enjoyed that time when we spent in the gym working out and you teach me to jump hook. So uh, that that's a day and a time that I would never forget.
1: Yeah. What it, what what was it about that day that you took my jump hook and you shot it better than I ever did? Like, like. <laughs> I don't know about that.
2: <laughs> no, I would say this. Obviously, I was a good listener um, and I trusted it, but you were the best teacher. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not just saying it just so it can sound good, but... Um that day, we spent over three hours just chatting and working on it. And I'm sure, uh, you know, it, it took some time for me to, uh, to use it uh, and, and to feel like, you know, once I left that day that I was comfortable with using it. But I, I appreciate your patience and just, <laughs> you know, helping me through that process. And as you know, uh, for 19 years, I used that move in the NBA, and it was tough to block. Mm-hmm. They couldn't block my shot. Well, I'm, I'm
1: proud of you, and as a Michigan fan, we're really excited to have you here. Now, NBA is all about basketball. What has been the biggest challenge of becoming a college head, head coach so far?
2: Well, I would say recruiting has been the biggest challenge because, you know, like I stated before uh, on one of my interviews, in the NBA, you know, you don't have to worry about players, uh, recruiting them, calling them on the phone. They come to you. You draft them. Or if you didn't draft them, a lot of those players are, you know, calling your phone lines or calling the coach who know you to try to get them in one of your summer camps or um, in the um, um, summer league uh, team. So now being in college, you know, I have to get on the phone. I have to go out and recruit and try to uh, sell this program and, and and get guys to buy into the Michigan culture and and get them to see that, hey, what we're doing here, because a lot of the players haven't seen me coach before, uh, but just uh, get them to buy into you know that I'm a new, inspiring coach that can help them get to where they want to get to and as far as playing college at a high level.
1: Juwan, I've watched four practices, and, and I know there's a lot of differences between the NBA game and the college game, but for our listeners, can you talk about the biggest differences uh, between – being an NBA player, being an NBA coach, and what you're trying to teach here at the college level?
2: Well, what I'm trying to teach at the college level is teaching guys how to use IQ. For those who do not have an IQ, uh, develop a basketball IQ. Uh, teaching guys how to play more of like a read and react type of um, uh, offense in a sense. i uh, not saying all my offense is designed around a read and react, uh, but I think what has escaped a lot of our basketball youth is guys learn how to play without the ball. And that's something that I've implemented here at the University of Michigan is teaching guys how to play without the basketball. I'm not saying that a lot of our guys did not know that before, uh, but there are guys on our team that is still learning. And it's a process. Mm-hmm.
1: Speaking in general, I don't want you to give up your offense, but – how might things look different with a Jawan Howard approach than a John B line? How, how is your system going to be different, faster, um, more po- – what, what are some of the things that, that we can look for?
2: Well, I would say this. Um, John Teske be, will be utilized more in the post. Uh, and I know in the past uh, John has done a fantastic job in playing more out on the perimeter uh, as well as uh, on a free throw line. Uh, In my offense, John would do a little bit of both. Uh, He would play out on the perimeter, which he's been effective before, and we've seen that over the years. But uh, using him more on the low block, which I think uh, he's really good at, and he's shown it in practice uh, with his low post skills as far as his work ethic and learning different moves that will help uh, add more to his low post skills.
1: I love that jump hook that I saw in practice today. <laughs> hey, um, so when, when we talk a little bit about John Beeline's system, he obviously gets good quality kids. Um, is it a disadvantage that you're now coaching kids that were recruited specifically for his system, or is that an advantage because they're pretty fundamentally sound?
2: Well, it's not a disadvantage at all because I'm getting guys who are high character who – buy into coaching, and uh, open-minded and willing to learn. Um, that's a big advantage right there. It's a coach's dream to have guys who um, is coachable, um, guys who I can trust, and guys who have bought into trusting me. So I think that's a big advantage for me.
1: So when John Beeline left, took the Cavaliers job, he's been running like crazy trying to learn the NBA. And ever since you took the job, you're learning recruiting and academics. And have, have you guys had a chance to sit down and sort of debrief? You both have a lot of information that could help the other one.
2: Well, yes, we have. Uh, I, I took uh, time last week and I drove up to Cleveland uh, to go and visit him. Uh, I wanted to Just sit down and talk and meet with him, Uh, learn more about the Michigan program, uh, learn more about Michigan basketball, um, current um, players that are left on the roster, as well as the college game itself. Um, I've always, over the years, when I was coaching in the NBA, came back to the University of Michigan to sit and talk and meet with Coach Beeline because I respect uh, Coach Beeline as a person and also as a coach with all the body of work he's done and success he's had. Um, I'm always uh, have, I have that growth mindset where, um, look, looking to pick his, guys' brains and coach B has always been that person on my list. Um, and I also did the same thing with like, uh, coach uh, Leonard Hamilton at FSU, a guy who I played for before. And he's, uh, had a lot of success in the collegiate level at, um, Miami as well as at, um, Florida State, so uh, I, I'm looking. I'm always, I'm always trying to figure out ways how to get better.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you have you talked to any of your former coaches? Um, I'm thinking Jimmy Lynam and Larry Brown and Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley. Rat- yes, you know what what advice have they shared with you about being a head coach?
2: Well, I talked to Coach Steve Fisher, and uh, <laughs> Coach Steve Fisher is, you know, he's one of the best teachers. But the the best advice he's given me is. Um, trust your staff, um, make sure you give them uh, responsibilities. Uh, all the jobs should just be on your shoulders. Uh, don't try to do it all alone by yourself. Um, you hire guys that you can trust and guys that you feel that uh, are great teachers in a game. Uh, allow them to have a voice and use them. Um, and that would take a lot of uh, workload off your shoulders.
1: I love your staff. Can you expand on, on some of their roles? What is Phil Martelli's role? What's Howard Isley's role? What's Saudi Washington's role? Some of the things that they're bringing.
2: Well, first I would say I, I picked a staff based on choosing guys where I was weak at. Um, I'd never been a head coach in college basketball before. Been away from the game for 25 years. So I hired, I wanted a former head coach uh, that coached in the collegiate level. So I, luckily enough, I was able to hire Coach Phil Martelli. Uh, he's 34 years experience in college, 24 years as a head coach. So I've uh, appointed Coach Phil Martelli as the associate head coach. Uh, Saudi Washington, I uh, wanted someone who um, was been in here at the University of Michigan, knows the program, um, knows, have a, a relationship with the players. Um, I wanted the players to also feel uh, assistive empowerment, um, and, and not only that, feel comfortable. So Sadi was a guy who I feel like I can trust uh, because of his basketball experience in a collegiate level. Ten years at Oakland University, three years at the University of Michigan, um, played seven years in, uh, in professional sports. Uh, so Sadi has a lot of knowledge, great coach. He's going to be a head coach someday very soon, uh, I don't know how long and how lucky I'll be able to have him, uh, but um, hopefully I can keep him for a while. <laughs> um, I hired another guy who I never played a point guard position before. Uh, I wanted a, a guy who can help develop point guards. I thought Howard Isley was a perfect fit for that uh, role. Howard was with uh, New York Knicks for, uh, for last year, coached in NBA for 10 years, uh, played in NBA for 12 years, Uh, From the Detroit area, Uh, a lot of people still now that lives in Detroit uh, have a lot of respect for Howard and his character. Um, All his hard work and how he's grinding his way through the NBA level. Uh, He's done the same thing in coaching the NBA, so um, I think he'd be perfect. Uh, He does a great job of relating and communicating with uh, not only just the perimeter players, but everyone on the roster loves him, so... Um, I think I have a great staff that is on this, uh, involved in this program that's going to help our guys uh, flourish and develop into the players that they want to become.
1: NBA basketball is about goal setting. Can you share a couple goals that that you have for your team this year, some of the goals your team has?
2: Well, our goal is, you know, I'm sure it's similar to a lot of these teams in college. Uh, Our goal is to win the Big Ten. Uh, We want to become the Big Ten tournament champions and our goal is to win a national championship. Good. And then
1: the the, the final question that I have, I'm trying to imagine what it's like for you right now, just imagining your first game. When you walk out of the tunnel, the crowd is excited. Are you daydreaming about it? Are you laying in bed at night thinking about what that's going to be like? What what goes through your mind when you think about your first game as the head coach for the University of Michigan?
2: Well, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. Um, I have thought about it. I've tried to envision um, just putting myself in the position of when I do walk out there the first day, and what's going to be my first play that I draw up, and um, how we going to respond to uh, competing versus our opponent, and and hoping and praying that we do win. You know, I would never sit here and say that I would not be nervous. Who knows during that moment, Uh, but. I, I'm gonna embrace it. You know, I, I love basketball, I, and I think that pretty much speaks for itself for all the years that I have been around the game. Um, I've done this since I was six years old. I haven't taken a break yet. Um, I'm, I'm sick-minded when it comes to the game of basketball. I'm always trying to improve, and I'm always trying to learn, because I feel the game is evolving uh, year by year and I want to be ahead of the curve, and I want to make sure our guys are the most prepared team there is.
1: Joan, we're elated. The, be- the basketball community for the University of Michigan is so excited, and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us on our
2: first podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tim.
0: This is a real treat, Tim, to hear you be able to go back and forth uh, you know with a guy that you helped recruit uh, and a guy that wore the same uniform as you is now coaching Michigan basketball and this is the Michigan basketball insider with Tim McCormick. So you're sit down with, with Juwan. What were your big takeaways from it? Sam, I was,
1: I I was reminiscing about the time that we were in the gym together and, and I was amazed at how quickly he took my jump hook and made it better than (laughs) I ever shot it. Um, I I also was sitting in his office. It was Wednesday night and I was asking him when the, the, the the, um, microphone went off, what, what, what's your day like today? What, what do you do on a typical day? He had gone down to Florida to recruit, and then he flew back to be in time for practice. And then he went through a three-hour practice, and then he met with some some um, you know fans, and he gave like a 20- to 30-minute impassioned speech. And then he did the podcast interview, and then he raced over to watch the women play. Like he is so engaged, so high energy, so loving this – that it really made me feel good about you know why why he was the right choice and and I don't know if they're gonna you know they they might get beat by Creighton and Louisville's gonna be good and Iowa State they they could lose all those games but. This is a long-term investment, and he is so engaged that I am convinced that he's going to be a big success.
0: At this point, it's it's early, and I'm saying this is an unfair question to you before I even ask it, Tim. But you're my guy, so I can do it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll (laughs) answer it. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, you have – like, what's your early – you know your early expectation for for year one. I know we haven't seen them, and in, in, you know we haven't seen them play a non conference schedule yet to know how they're going to fare in the Big Ten. But just knowing what you know about the Big Ten landscape, knowing what you know about this roster, seeing them a little bit. So far, what's a realistic expectation as far as you're concerned?
1: Sam, this team is not as good as last year. They're going to struggle to score at times. I think that they're going to see a lot of zone because they lack some of those pure knockdown shooters that Michigan's had under beeline. Um, But I do think that they will play in the NCAA tournament. I think that they're going to be totally capable of of having some huge wins this year. Uh, I, I would imagine, you know, Twenty three win team going into the term. That's pretty darn good. Uh, Top five in the Big Ten. I I think Michigan State's better. I think that Maryland's got a better roster. Um, Ohio State. Purdue's lost a lot, but I really like their their foundation. Um, But the the key word that I think is going to be so important is trust. And let's say they lose to Creighton, that that would not be a surprise. Creighton, top five in the Big East, they return fourth or five starters. That's going to be a tough game to win. And if you do lose, the players are going to be thinking, okay, wait a second, you know, is is, is this going to be a tough year? Where's Coach Beeline? He was he was so meticulous with his preparation. You know, the the players have to be able to let that go and say, no, I'm on board. I'm with Juwan. We're going to be fine, and I think that once they get through that trust issue, then everything is going to be really good. And Jawan's fine with that because in the NBA, man, you get you get guys coming in, they get traded, they get cut. Like you're always used to the uncertainty of it. Jawan will be fine with that. It's the, these college players can they adjust to a new coach, new system, new expectations, new routines. That's going to be really
0: important. So I think trust is the big word. Yeah, I knew you were going to handle it well, just like you handled things well in the paint. So we have a segment on the Michigan Insider Basketball Podcast with Tim McCormick that we're calling in the paint. We'll do it every single show uh, in the final segment where we will take questions uh, from you know from folks on Twitter, folks on the MichiganInsider questions that Tim has heard uh, directly that he wants to bring to the podcast and. We'll go down in the paint with Tim and have him answer those questions. And so uh, let's start off with, with number one, with Franz Wagner's injury. Who steps into his role?
1: Isaiah Livers is is ready for a breakout year. Sam, I think he's going to be Michigan's top scorer this year. Um, I was at Little Caesars Arena the other night, talked to an NBA scout. He said, I love Livers. I think he's a pro. And and so I thought, well, well tell me a little bit more. Why, why is that? His versatility, he can cover at the college game two through five, probably more two through four in my Mm -hmm. opinion, but he's improved his ability to put the ball on the floor. He's a deep range shooter, and I also love his leadership. One of the things that kind of caught me off guard is you get to know some of the kids when they're younger. I remember Xavier Simpson and Isaiah Livers being kind of in the background, kind of watching, not really sure of themselves. And yesterday after practice both of them came up, they had a man handshake, big smile, hey thanks for watching practice, what'd you see? You know, it was just it was really good for them to show their leadership and, and their maturity. So I think Isaiah Livers is the guy. But in the short term with Franz Wagner out, Adrian Nunes, who Joan Howard said is one of the best shooters in college basketball. Wow, I that that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Um we need we need to see cuz I know last year he didn't he didn't do a lot of shooting. Um his, his game his game needs some some work in other areas, but
0: I, I'm laughing I'm laughing <laughs> as you say that too because that's another big difference between Joe Howard and John Beline. John Beeline was the master of making sure expectations were a little uh, bit, keep it keep those <laughs> expectations down, don't don't be too too lofty, too gaudy yeah. with, the, with the praise early on. So. so
1: let me ask you the question. What do you think?
0: Who will step into that role? I think it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting because, you know, as I watch Franz and I saw him at, at, your, at your camp, the NBA Players Association Top 100 camp, which we haven't gotten into, we will. You're the director of that camp. You see guys go in and out. I was surprised when I watched Franz there how, how mature his game was, how – how he was, you know, the basketball plays that, you know, an outlet pass, going and getting a, going to get a rebound, being able to create for others a little off the bounce, things that you just didn't expect. I mean, I stereotyped him foreigner. He's going to get come in here, get pushed around a little bit, not really be able to adjust to the speed and athleticism of the game. I was shocked. I mean, this is a guy who you can tell played with pros overseas. So I was expecting him to, uh, initially to be on the wing, but I think he could be a, a, in the two guard spot here at Michigan. In his absence, certainly uh, it puts more of a burden on a guy like Dave DeJulius. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dave is Dave is my pick for breakout players.
1: He's got some dog in him. He'll he'll, he'll get after you, you. You know
0: that as a Clarkston guy, yes, right? Yeah, you know yes, that I as a Clarkston guy. I know. Guy. That, I know, I know. Dave, Dave DeJulius beat Clarkston by himself. Yes, yes. Uh, he is. And I talked to him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and I said, Dave, you know, I I know your mentality as a player. I mean, you are, you know, not saying he's going to be this guy, but you, you've watched him, Tim. Mentally, he's Carson Edwards. That's who he, that's who he envisions himself as. I'm not saying he's ever going to be that, but he is a bucket getter. And so that was kind of corralled a little bit. You got to learn to play without the basketball. You got to learn to create for others. That was part of his journey last year. But this year, to your point about Jawan and, and Freedom, I think he is a guy that's really going to benefit from that. And this is a team also, to your point, that needs bucket getters. And yeah. he's one of the ones they have.
1: So my Michigan Elite 25 program for the best players in the state of Michigan, Dave came all four years. And, and I've fallen in love with his approach. And you'll like this a lot because you know Xavier, Xavier Simpson doesn't back down from anyone and it was after the middle Tennessee or before the middle Tennessee State game I was at practice and they had to pull Dave de Julius and Xavier Simpson apart. <laughs> it took about five guys to pull them away and they I mean Dave DeJulius is not gonna back down. He's from the east side and he's got toughness and he's got confidence and I think that it's gonna benefit him so much that every day he goes head to head with Xavier Simpson
0: absolutely and the, the no back down is is great I think you know if you talk to X X will be like man that yeah. was great that's that's what X wants to yes. see from him yes. for sure so another question for you Tim uh this one comes from the Michigan uh Woodson one he says Tim what concerns if any do you have uh you know of trying to implement the NBA style of offense or NBA style offensive and defensive principles in the college game are there any? pitfalls that could come with that
1: well the 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 biggest the biggest thing is confidence because once you get into a game are the players going to feel like they're really executing at the level they need to I think one of the advantages is that the pistol is is the offense run by most NBA teams if you look at the Miami Heat if you scout them they're running it and their offense is going to look a lot like Michigan's but the big key is The defensive philosophies that are in the NBA right now, it's not in the college game covering this. So there's going to be a learning curve for everybody playing against Michigan. I think that's going to be an advantage for the Wolverines in the early games that people are going to say, wait a second, this is a little bit different than what we've seen. Also, with their offense, it's a structured motion, but they can get into the post. They can get guys shots out of it. It's a really good offense.
0: All right, so you you said I mean they're going to see some zone at times, uh, you know. They, they, I just said they need bucket getters. They're going to need guys to step up and uh, be able to go uh, create for them a bit. When you when we look at the the stat sheet at the end of the season, who are going to be the leading scorers for this squad?
1: I think Isaiah Livers will lead the team in scoring. I think he's I think he's going to have a really big year. He he's going to be on the court because of his versatility. Um, he's shooting the ball great. He's got a, a confidence and a swagger. I think he's your guy. Um, surprisingly, Dave DeJulius, to me, I think might be uh, you know a 12- to 13-point wow. guy. I really think he's going to have a big year. And, and remember, wow. so you're playing with Xavier Simpson – He's going to always take the opponent's toughest offensive player. He's going to run your offense for you. And Dave DeJulius is going to get a lot of freedom out there. He, he makes excellent cuts. I think he's going to have a really good year. Also, John Teske is going to shoot the three. and that Now, this is going to be hmm. surprising to some of our listeners that I talked to an NBA scout that said, John Teske will play in the NBA. I asked John Beeline about that. When they played the Pistons, he said, I agree with that. I think that Teske's an NBA player based on what he's seen so far. And I said, well, you've got to explain to me why. What what do you like about him as an NBA player? He said, "Teskey is capable of covering one through four with NBA pick and rolls. That's huge. He's an emerging pick and roll player. And the thing that I like the most is that he is a young three-point shooter. What I mean by that is... A lot of guys, they've been shooting threes their whole life, so that's great. Teske has been like a 15-foot jump shooter until the last couple of years. He's shooting a lot of threes now, so they think he's got the potential to be a better three-point shooter. The one concern that people have, as big as John Teske is, he's got kind of short arms for a big guy. And the, and the measurables are really big at the combine.
0: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about, about John, I watched John in high school. I saw him at, at, at camp. Uh that he came here with michigan he he shot threes in high school mm-hmm. uh and shot them confidently. I mean, it's not like he was taking you know seven a game, but he shot them confidently. He got here, and that that went dormant like you know they 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 didn't really emphasize that with him and and I think maybe you know some confidence suffered uh in the you know in that interim. Uh, and now, once he becomes a player, they see that he's going to be a real piece to the puzzle. They started to encourage him to shoot those threes and it was a it, it, it was uh, it was tough last year
1: yeah and you know we've, we've we've talked about breakout players, sam. We've talked about almost everybody, but one of the obvious ones. Brandon Johns has a big opportunity because they they need him at that power forward position and he can now shoot, he shoot three. Well. He, yeah. He's not bad at all. You've got to put him on that list too. Gotcha.
0: All right, so let's let's get another one in here and this one comes from the Michigan and this is another one that's right in your wheelhouse. This is from D-Tree, dtree twelve. So I like to hear Tim's thoughts on Colin Castleton. I'm personally expecting a nice jump in his game. What do you think, Tim?
1: I would expect that he's going to be your third big man. Um, he's going to probably play 15 minutes a game, uh, but very important because he's got to he's got to gain strength. And John Sanderson's one of the best I've been around in terms of core strength, leg strength, hip strength. Um, he he is is going to make a huge difference for Colin Castleton. And at practice yesterday, I was watching his shot. Um, I think that Colin and Brandon Johns share something that that needs to be improved subtly. I don't think that they're totally disciplined with their shooting. They look a little bit lazy to me. Where when you're when you're a knockdown shooter, you have got to do the same thing every time. Your your legs have to be the same width apart. You know, your follow through has to be in the exact same position. And and I I was watching closely Brandon and Colin can really do a better job in their pre-shot work, making sure that, you know, they're down in position, hands are ready, and then the follow-through and the lift. Those are, are two things that I think they can improve, but they knock down shots pretty well without that discipline. If they get it, look out.
0: Yeah, I, you know, the thing about Colin Castleton that I love, I love the attitude he brings to the floor. Uh, he brings, he to, to be a, uh, you know, a lean guy, uh, you know, he brings you he brings you a guy that has some athleticism, despite not having a whole lot of muscle on his frame just yet. And I remember talking to him in high school I said, describe your game. He said, I'm Franz. V- I mean, not Franz. I'm Mo Wagner, but I play defense. <laughs> so, so he said, you know, I'm a guy. Basically, I'm a guy that can I can play on the on the way I can play on the perimeter. But, you know, I can also get it done in the post. But I'm going to block shots. I'm going to be active on the defensive end of the floor. And that, to me, Tim, in the, the little bit of time that we saw him last year, that's where I think Michigan felt him most was on the defensive end of the floor, Whether it was an Iowa game down there. He flashed a little bit. We saw him in and out uh, as they got deeper into the season. Colin Castleton as a presence on the defensive end of the floor, being able to stay being able to stay with, with guys, or, you know, stay with a guard on a pick-and-roll. He can move his feet well enough to do that. What he lacked was, man, he could get muscled out of there because he just didn't have the, the mass to, yeah. to hold it. Sam,
1: that's on. why I'm so fired up you're doing this with me. You're bringing the insight, too. I'm, <laughs> I'm learning from you. No, but the David Julius issue with playing Xavier Simpson, that's really hard every day, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you've got to play against an all-Big Ten defender every single day. Colin Castleton has to play against John Teske every day. Like, that's how you get better. And I remember Roy Tarpley was immensely oh. talented. And, yeah, man. And I felt like every day for his freshman and sophomore year, I just beat him up in practice. <laughs> he, he was so tall and thin, and and, and I went at him really hard. Um, our junior year, or my junior year, I got in foul trouble at Ohio State, and they put him in the game. And in the second half, he had 22 points and 14 <laughs> rebounds. And from that moment on, he was the best player in the Big Ten. And so that competition, have somebody pushing you, can really pay dividends. I think that's where Colin and DeJulius are really going to benefit. And
0: that's, a, that's, a, that's where we're going to end this first podcast. But think about that, folks. Two first-round draft pick bigs. That's what Michigan—Tim McCormick and Royce Harpley. <laughs> On the same team. These are these are two first round draft picks in that era of Michigan basketball, just not enough appreciation for how much talent there was. We will talk to some of the members of the eighty nine championship team, I'm sure. And you know, I've talked to a few of them already, and they they say, Hey, the team that lost the year before Gary Grant was more talented no doubt. than the one that actually won it. <laughs> nope, you're right, you're right. So that was, that was a, an unbelievable era of Michigan basketball. Just didn't always have the hardware uh, to show for it, but you look across NBA rosters uh, uh, in the 80s, you saw a lot of high draft picks from the University of Michigan, one of them being our guy, our feature guy uh, in this podcast. Uh, hope you lock it down. Hope you listen every week to the Michigan Basketball Insider with Tim McCormick. Tim, great first show, man.
1: Great job, Sam. Let's do it again.
0: All right, see you guys next week.